0: Good morning. morning. (laughs) Mark 7, 1 to 23. The tradition of the elders. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, "'Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands?' He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you, hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must surely die. But you say that if anyone tells father or mother whatever support you might have had from me, is Corbin that is, an offering to God. Then you no longer permit doing anything for a father or mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition that you have handed on, and you do many things like this. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person That by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Then do you also fail to understand? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile, since it enters? not the heart, but the stomach, and goes out into the sewer. Thus he declared, all foods clean. And he said, it is what comes out of a person that defiles, for it is, from written, from the human heart, that evil intentions come, fornication, theft, murder, adultery avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Amen.
1: Church, would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. May only your words be spoken and only your words be heard. Amen. Amen. I am not about to offer an interpretation of this entire section of the Gospel of Mark. It is much too full for a comprehensive interpretation in a single sermon, and I just do not want to tackle all of the pieces of it. So instead, in the spirit of your current project as a church, I want to offer a framework for interpreting this and other passages in the New Testament about the arguments between Jesus or Jesus' followers and other first-century Jewish authorities. This framework is about parenthood, first considering Abraham's parenthood, see Jews and Christians, by virtue of Jesus' Jewishness, trace our lineage directly to Abraham. One of Abraham's sons was Isaac, whose son was Jacob, who wrestled with holiness and was renamed as Israel, the father of the 12 tribes and of the Jewish people more generally. Muslims also trace their lineage directly to Abraham, but through Ishmael rather than Isaac. There are, in these two branches of Abrahamic traditions, two very different sets of stories about Abraham. And through these sets of stories, we can see that he seems to be a completely different person when viewed through the eyes of each of his sons. Isaac is clearly the golden child. The Hebrew Bible tells us that God's covenant with Abraham to make him the ancestor of a multitude of nations is to be fulfilled through Isaac. And so Isaac is treated as the promised child from the moment of his birth. Abraham and his family celebrate when Isaac is born, when he is circumcised, and when he is weaned. He is the fulfillment of Abraham and Sarah's hopes, the sign of their favor with God. Ishmael, on the other hand, is born into conflict. His mother, Hagar, is Sarah's slave, sent in her mistress's place to be used as a vessel for Abraham's descendants, and then resented for fulfilling Sarah's orders. She conceives and gives birth to Ishmael, Abraham's first child, but not, according to the Hebrew Bible, the child of God's promises. Once this second child, Isaac, is born, Ishmael is a reminder to Sarah and Abraham that their perfect life in covenant with God is not as perfect as it looks at first glance. To preserve the image of perfection, Abraham brings Hagar and Ishmael far away from their home and leaves them with basically nothing, some dried fruit, water for the afternoon, and a prayer. While by the accounts of both the Hebrew Bible and Sunni Islamic tradition, they are ultimately saved by a combination of God's intervention and some friendly strangers, Abraham has abandoned them. And Ishmael's early life and experiences of his father are traumatic. He seems to be the undesired, unimportant child, not fit to inherit, not a gift from God, and not worth Abraham's attention. The Hebrew scriptures don't mention Ishmael again until Abraham's death. The Hadith a co- collections of Islamic writings go into a bit more detail, <laughs> describing Ishmael's productive life marked by occasional interruptions from his father. In these tellings, Abraham returns to where he has left Ishmael and Hagar only when he needs his older son's help. Who is Abraham then? Is he Isaac's joyful, doting father, or the man who abandons Ishmael and his mother to the (laughs) desert? Ultimately, of course, Abraham is both. He's complex, like any one of us and like all parents. Just as Abraham is viewed differently through the eyes of Isaac and Ishmael, all of our parents will appear to be different people if you compare how we see them and how our siblings see them. I know that my brother and I have a very different relationship to each of our parents than does the other one, and I would guess that if you have siblings or if you have multiple children, that if you take a moment to think through your relationships, some examples might come to mind about how these different relationships shape our understandings of who our parents are or how our children view us. We view our parents through the lens of our own experiences, the stories we have about them, and the emotions that come along with our memories. Our siblings do the same and may come up with a completely different picture. So what happens if we take a step back and use this same scaffolding as a framework for thinking about God? As a community of faith, Christians experience God in rich, nuanced and complicated ways that are tied in with our scriptures, our social history, and our beliefs. Though of course each person's spiritual journey and understanding is different, we have some kind of a collective understanding of who God is. What divine presence means to us that is rooted in our faith and our traditions. So too do Jews Muslims, Sikhs, Hindus, Unitarian Universalists, religious humanists, and so on. Each of these groups, like Christians, experience God or the spirit or the universe in rich, nuanced, and complicated ways that are tied in with their scriptures, their history, and their beliefs. Out of these, each group shares a collective understanding of who God is according to their faith and traditions. So, applying this framework of parenthood to God, what happens if instead of saying that we alone know how to understand and be in relationship with God, we listen to the words of our siblings? If we do, then Christians, we are allowed to experience and understand God in one way, based on our lives and history as God's children, and members of other religious communities with different lives and histories are allowed and expected to experience God entirely differently. As with Abraham and his two sons, we as different communities of faith have different experiences and therefore different ways of understanding who God is as parent, as creator, as nurturer to each of us. And there is truth in each of these. I believe that there is a richness to be gained when we attempt to learn about God as our divine parent through the wisdom of our siblings from different faiths. Some of the first times that I began to understand my call to ministry were in relationships with female Jewish and Muslim clergy. I learned about setting time apart for praising God every day from Islam. I learned about grace from a college friend who was finding his place as an adult in the Baha'i community. I learned about charity, not just from Christian scriptures about widow's pennies, but also from my dad, who taught me about tzedakah, the Jewish obligation to give, which he had learned in yeshiva and from his own parents. In short, I have learned that it is not enough to learn from my own experiences if I want to get to know God. There are things that I can only learn through real relationship with others and curiosity about their relationship with God. On the other hand, I have seen firsthand and in studying history that problems arise when we as individuals or communities claim that we alone have the authority to interpret God's will for us or the nature of God's relationship with humanity. In my own life, The absolute certainty that my Catholic upbringing had included that we alone had it right led to a crisis of faith when my Jewish uncle died suddenly when I was a teenager. What I had been taught about the necessity of Christianity to eternal salvation just could not mesh with my certainty that my uncle was even more beloved by God than he had been by those of us in his family. This kind of crisis of certainty happens within individual religious groups just as often as it happens between groups. Take our scripture for this morning. The Pharisees, Mark says, decry the actions of Jesus' disciples because they break with proper Jewish tradition. This argument and many of the others between Jesus' early Jewish followers and their other (laughs) Jewish siblings are recounted in the Gospels as though Jesus was pitted against all Jews, as if the Jesus followers had the exact right of it, and no one else could understand God, as if theirs was the only way to understand God's parenting of humanity. Except what the text doesn't tell us is that there was a disagreement among Jews in the first century as to what the commandments from God about washing hands and food and pots really was. The Pharisees thought that everyone should wash their hands before a meal, and the Sadducees and most other Jews at the time disagreed and said that this washing was unnecessary. They argued about it, in part because argument is a foundational part of the Jewish tradition, and in part because both groups were convinced that they had the right of it where God's desires for humanity were concerned. Jesus and his followers, as recounted in the gospel text from this morning, jump into the mix. I do not propose to know for certain what Jesus actually said when he was confronted about adherence to Jewish practices, as recounted in Mark or other gospels. I also don't propose to have a complete or accurate interpretation of what it means for him to have said any of these things. What I do know is that I need to share my interpretations based out of my experience with God with all of you, hearing your interpretations based out of your experience of God and those interpretations and experiences of our siblings in other faith traditions. In order to even begin to approach understanding God's relationship with humanity, this is why I celebrated when Reverend Megan told me about your series of sermons and conversations about the Gospel of Mark. In reflection and prayer, in community, and a sharing of experiences, we can all begin to get to know our loving parent a little better. And so, as you have done each week now in this series, I ask you to take a moment in silence before we open up the space to hear your insights.